0: Would you take your Bibles out? And uh, it's Bible drill time. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai 2. I'll give you that one first. We're going to go to some other scripture, but it'll take you longer to find that one than the other ones. All right, Haggai chapter 2. And then uh, put a marker there. And if you've got an old Schofield Bible, it's page number 963. That's what my preacher back home used to say. It's what what, uh, Dr. Oliver B. Green said on his radio broadcast every day. He told you what page in his Bible he was. Amen? That's why I carry a Schofield Bible, because I found the pages that way. Amen? All right, Haggai chapter 2, put a marker there. Then over in Luke chapter number 8, put a marker there. And then, once you've got that, we're going to go to one more passage, and these will be the only ones I have you turn to. We'll look at these several times, so you keep your markers there. I will read some other scriptures to you. So you've got a marker in Haggai 2, you've got a marker in Luke chapter 8, and then Psalm 126 in your Bible, Psalm 126. Right. right, we're going to read in uh, Psalm 126 first, and then we'll get to Luke, then we'll go to Haggai. Psalm 126, verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What a marvelous passage of scripture. Now we'll go to Luke chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 4. We'll read down through verse number 15. Luke chapter 8, verse number 4. Did we just lose the mic? Is that you back there? Is that, it's on up here. Can you hear me? All right. What are you doing to me back there, Doc? Turning me off? All right. Luke 8, verse number 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they they might not see and hearing they might not understand. I'm going to pause right there. Did you understand what Jesus said to them? He gives this parable, these little spiritual stories. And the disciples asked him, why? What does this parable mean? And Jesus said something to the disciples. It's really interesting. He says, unto you it is given to know. You ever ever wonder why sometimes some people understand some parts of the scripture and you don't? Because God gives it to them to understand. And he didn't give it to you. Don't get upset. Because there was a lot of what Jesus taught that disciples did not understand during his ministry. It was not until after the resurrection that they understood. There may be some things you're not spiritually ready for Yet. Don't get discouraged if you don't understand all this book. That ought to excite you that you can't understand this book. That tells you a man did not write it. God did. I yeah. like what the old preacher said. Only three people could have written the Bible. A good man, a bad man, or God. A good man would not have written and claimed God did. A bad man would not have written it because it convicted him of his sin. God is the one who wrote it. Amen. And so he says unto them, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others in parables. That seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on good ground are they, notice this, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it. And bring forth fruit with patience. Every heart in this room tonight is in, is one of those grounds. We should long and desire and beg God that we're the one in verse 15. Good ground. Which in honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it. And bring forth fruit with patience. I want you to look back. At verse number 11, it's interesting when Jesus tells these parables, and I've heard a lot of preaching on the parables, and the preaching that I heard is nowhere near the scriptures. People add spiritual thoughts to things God never did. A lot of the things in the, his stories didn't mean anything. He told us the parts that were important. Verse 11 is the important part. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now go to Haggai chapter number 2. We're going to read just one verse. I'm going to pull a phrase out of it that goes with the verses we've read, and it will be the title of the message. Haggai chapter number 2 and verse number 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day I will bless you. He says, is the seed yet in the barn? Let's pray. Our Father, we need a touch from you tonight. I pray you'd help me as I speak on a truth that I know you have directed me to speak on. I pray you'd give me liberty. I pray you'd give me clarity of thought. Help me to say exactly what you want said in exactly the way you want it said. Most of all, Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to you and I beg you to speak through me in such a way that when we leave this place, we'll not be the same as we were when we walked in. I pray you would do something eternal in these minutes. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've all heard this parable in Luke chapter number eight, over and over, the, the parable of the, of, of the seed being sown. We know that as believers, we're supposed to be soul winners. We're an independent Baptist church. We know what soul winning is all about. We print tracts. We have scheduled soul winning time. We know that is what it is. We understand the parable of the seed means it's the word of God that's supposed to be spread out into the field. The field is the world. We understand that. But I do not believe that those of us that call ourselves Christians really see this matter in the light that God sees it. The question from Haggai 2, is the seed yet in the barn? You see, we understand that the seed's supposed to get out. We understand that it is the desire of God to save every sinner in the world. But what are we doing to be a part of that program? Back in our text in Psalm 126, if you'll turn back there, I want you to see these verses again. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to jump right into the the outline. We see the sovereign plan of God. Psalm 126, verse 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We see God's plan. We are supposed to take the seed and we're supposed to be weeping as we go. And we're to take that seed and spread it everywhere. And God said, without doubt, we will come bringing our sheaves with us. I hear people tell us, "Why, well, you know, I've tried this sowing thing, but I've never seen my save." Just keep sowing the seed. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard people say, "Well, sowing doesn't work. Sowing works if you work it." Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight. We looked at these verses yesterday in our in our in the sowing meeting, verses uh, eighteen through twenty. Uh, in fact, I've just got verse nineteen in my in my notes, and I want to read verse eighteen because it's too good to miss. Amen. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, uh, and Jesus came and spake to them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. I paused yesterday and we read that. Whenever you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you need to look at the verses ahead of that to see what it's there for. Jesus said, because I have all power, go ye Therefore. Alright. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It's God's plan for us to do what? In His power, go ye. You don't have any option. The command is go ye. Uh, John 15, 16. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He's not talking about salvation there. He's talking about ministry. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that what you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Do you notice God ties answer to prayer to your obedience about going with the gospel? If you're not getting your prayers answered, you, you might check up in your life and see if you've done anything to get the gospel out this week. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Didn't say you might be, could be. You shall be. You right now, if you're a child of God, you are a witness. You might be a good witness. You might be a very poor witness. But I promise you today, you are a witness. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. You hear me, God in His sovereign will and in His design chose to use mortal man to propagate the gospel. He could have chosen any other method he wanted to. He could have had letters in flaming words in the sky saying, Repent, turn to God. He could have done that. But he chose to use us. He could have had angels with the message. Do you understand? The angels announced his birth, the angels announced his death, his burial, his resurrection. But none of them got to announce how a sinner can go to heaven. He did not put that within Gabriel's reach. He did not let Michael the archangel have the opportunity to give the gospel. He gave that to us. It's the sovereign plan of God. God chose to use man. I don't know why he did. Picture Jesus on that hillside in Acts 1. The last words he said to the disciples were verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and the utmost part of the earth. You know what happened right after that? He was caught up out of their sight into the clouds. You picture 11 men on a hillside like this. That's what they were doing. All of a sudden, two angels showed up and asked the question, why stand ye gazing into heaven? What was he saying? It's time to get to work, boys. Yeah. And they said this Jesus that went into heaven, he's going to so come in like manner, how in the clouds. You know, that tells us, preacher, how long we're supposed to be in this matter of soul winning. The time he went to heaven to the time he comes back. Yeah. means we got to get busy. The sovereign plan of God. Oh, we have the seed. Man, everyone that's in this room, we got a Bible. We got tracks in our pocket. Man, we are so blessed. I was rejoicing last night as I was looking at some pictures on, on Facebook from a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Brother Jason Russell. He's in Papua New Guinea, and he was loading 220 cases of Bibles into a ship that they were taken to the island of Daru where he's at in the western province. I was with him a year ago and I was, I was planning on going a month from now to be with him. And he, he's taking those Bibles and, and they've got the opportunity to spread all those Bibles into the public schools in Papua New Guinea. And I was so excited. And I got to thinking the truth is, when I was there the first time 10 years ago, when I was there a year ago, people there begged for Bibles you and I can go to Walmart and buy one for a dollar. I'm talking about a King James Bible. You know, when's the last time you told somebody about what's in that Bible? See, the problem is not do we have the seed. The question is, is the seed yet in the barn? You see, the sovereign plan of God is to get the seed Open up the packaging, and whoever vacuums, I apologize. We're to spread it. The preacher just had a heart attack. If you can see the look on Mrs. Tharp's face right now, I told you to be afraid when I come to the pulpit with a bag. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take the seed and throw it. Yeah, it's real seed. We're got grass growing in here next week. But the problem is, preacher, we have people all over this auditorium. I'm including myself. I leave my house every day with tracks. And how many times do I come back at the end of the day? I have as many tracks in my pocket as I did when I left. How many of you believe God wants to save sinners? He does. But then the question is are you carrying your TNT? So what's that? That's a track, and that's a New Testament. I don't leave house without him, ever. You say, well, I've just run into the store. Well, what about that guy that you pay when you, when you buy your gas? Does his eternity not matter? Yeah. So we talk about it. We say we believe in soul winning, but the truth is we have the seed, but it's still stuck in the barn. The question that Haggai asked is a great question. Is the seed yet in the barn? It's the sovereign Plan of God. You're wondering, are you done throwing that seat? I don't know. Lord <laughs> <help me. laughs> Mrs. Tharp's going. Oh, man. I'm going to drive 880 miles tonight. But anyway, that's what I drove Friday to get here. Amen. But you notice what he said there in Psalm 126. Look at it again Psalm 126, verse number 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed thus we're to go forth we have every every week a scheduled opportunity to go forth when's the last time you showed up when's the last time when you left the church house you grabbed a pack of tracks Brother McHale, by the way, at the end of the service, I'm going to want stacks of tracts in ushers' hands at the door. He that goeth forth and weepeth. When was the last time you wept over a sinner? Years ago, I was in, in, uh, in the Dallas, Texas area. I was in Mesquite, Texas. I was visiting a dear friend of mine by the name of Sylvester Matthews. He pastored the Open Door Baptist Church. He had helped Dr. Joe Boyd start that church and then later became the pastor, pastored it for over 35 years. Brother Matthew's one of the best soul winners I've ever met. Very humble man. He'd be nervous if he knew I was talking about him tonight. One day I was just I was there for just a, a couple of weeks, spending time with him, preached in his church. And one morning he said, Brother, I've got to, make, I've got to run some errands. Would you go with me? I said, Sure he got in his little car. He had a Subaru Justy. Anybody remember those? It was about as long as that Lord's Supper table. Amen. Tiny little car. He had a box on the console of his car. It was a stick shift. Nobody was ever going to steal it in this day. I mean, nobody could drive those. But anyway, he had a box. He opened it up and it had little markers. It was a card box and it had zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four. He said, Brother Doug, we've, uh, we've got to go to a hospital visit, and I've got to, I want to go visit on this street where I, I've been knocking doors. He said, but I'm going to drive through zone one and two to get to zone three, so I'm going to pull out a visit in each of those zones to follow up on somebody I've talked to before. And by now I'm saying, okay, you can stop right now. We need an invitation. And as we drove in his errands, we stopped in every zone to talk to at least one person about the gospel i'll never forget we got to the home of a bus mom he had talked to her many times he knocked on her door she answered and and, and he began to talk to her he introduced himself introduced me and he began to give this dear lady the gospel he got his new testament out and he began to share her with her the scriptures and he was given her the verses and he got to the end and he he drew the net he asked her if she'd like to trust christ she said I don't think so today and he began to weep he went to Revelation 21 and he showed her that in Revelation 21 and in verse number 8 he read this verse to her he said but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall so have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death he said ma'am If you die without trust in Christ, that's where you're going to go. And he got down on his knees. I'll never forget it. And tears were streaming down his face. He said, ma'am, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. That lady got down on her knees and trusted Jesus as her Savior. My friend, when's the last time you wept over a sinner? When's the last time you spread out a map of this county? And started praying street by street. So I know so and so lives on that street. And they're lost without God. God would you save them? Would you would you send the Holy Spirit to convict their heart? When was the last time you prayed over your city? When was the last time you took a map of your country. And started praying state by state. Begging God to save sinners. That goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed i love what isaiah 55 says we looked at this verse yesterday verse 11 so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which i please and it shall prosper in the thing where to i send it is said, "Well, preacher i witnessed him they didn't get saved keep sowing the seed you ever notice you sow a, a seed it doesn't grow immediately My my son-in-law likes to to grow a garden. He's got one going in his yard, and he grows watermelons. I steal those. Uh, He grows cucumbers, and uh, he grows tomatoes that actually have flavor. Uh, The ones you buy at the grocery store don't. Amen. And uh, he grows those, and right now he's fighting with the rabbits. I have a a little, little family of rabbits that live underneath my back deck, and I haven't found their nest yet, but I know they're in there. And they come out and they eat his, his he lives next door to me, they'll, they'll eat his, his garden. And he's frustrated, amen? He plants that, he waters, and every day my grandkids come out and they're looking at it. They're waiting for that stuff to come out of the ground. What happens? You've got to have the rain come. In Isaiah 55, the Bible is likened unto the rain and the snow that just keeps coming down, it keeps coming down. What's in that rain? Nutrients. It keeps coming, it keeps coming. Just soaking in, soaking in, what happens? All of a sudden, life starts happening. Why? Because the word of God will never return void. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, look at the verse again, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You hear me, if you don't go, and you don't weep, and you don't bear the seed, you're not going to have any fruit. Proverbs eleven thirty 30 is still in our Bible. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel 12, 3, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. What is the plan of God? Soul winning. I'm talking about door to door. Two by two, house to house, face to face, confrontational, soul winning. There's a heresy that's come across our country that's pushing this thing they call lifestyle evangelism. And by the way, lifestyle evangelism in itself is not wrong. Let me explain what I mean. Lifestyle evangelism says this. Well, you just live a godly life in front of people. Well, that's a good thing to do. The more consistent my life becomes, the more convincing my message will be. That's true. If I'm out drinking with them on Friday night and they invite them to church on Sunday, they're probably not coming. Well, right. yeah. Say, why do I need what you've got? Yeah. All right. The well, lifestyle evangelism says you don't bother anybody in their houses. You just live in front of them. And then one day they'll ask you. Yeah. Many years ago, when I was 24 years old, I was a bus director in a very large church in a western city the western part of the United States. I was the bus director. Church ran well over 1,000. Had been known as a lighthouse for the gospel for 30 years. The pastor was retiring. He was going to go to the mission field. And the, so, the, the co-pastor was going to become pastor, and he had already taken over. I was the bus director. His first staff meeting when he was in charge, he said this. He said, I want to teach you something today. And he handed out that book, Lifestyle Evangelism, began to teach about not knocking on doors and not cornering people and and just, you know, live the life in front of him. He said, that's going to be our philosophy of ministry. I'm sitting there. I'm the bus director. I was directing six bus routes. My wife and I ran our route into the projects in, in Denver. We were averaging over 70 on our bus every Sunday. I didn't say anything. I was the youngest staff member. I was 24 years old. After the staff meeting, I I said, Preacher, can we talk? He said, Sure. We went in his office. I laid that book on his desk, Lifestyle Evangelism. I said, What do you mean by that? He said, Well, Brother Doug, we're not going to ambush people in their homes anymore. I said, What does that mean? We're not just going to go up to somebody we don't know, knock on their door, and start talking to them about going to heaven. I said, well, what about the bus ministry? Because that's all you do in the bus ministry. He said, we're going to rethink the bus ministry. I said, what in the world does that mean? He said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy new vans at the church. And when churches families start reaching the families in their neighborhood, maybe they win their neighbor to Christ, then they can come get the church van and bring them to church. I said, Richard, but what about the kids on the bus routes? Well, we're not going to go there anymore. I said, sir, don't bus kids go to hell anymore? He said, son, you and I have a difference of opinion. I said, no, sir, I believe the Bible, and you don't. So what would you do? I resigned. I said, "Preacher, we're not headed the same direction. You were, the church was headed a direction when I came on staff. It's now going a different direction. I said, here are my keys. I said, I'm going to go to my office when I leave yours. I'm packing my stuff up in an hour. I'll be off the property. My family and I are moving out of state. Can you imagine I came home? This is my wife's home church. We were married there. I came home in the middle of the day. She said, what are you doing home now? I said, because we got to pack. She said, why? I said, because we're moving. She said, moving where? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Guys, don't try that with your wives, all right? Just don't do it. I understand what Sarah is thinking in the scriptures when Abraham leaves near the Chaldee to go to a land he's not seen yet. My wife understands that one. Because that's what I told her we were doing. She said, why? I told her the story. She said, okay. Big question, right We're going to do that. So it was the right decision? wasn't a decision. I live by principle. So we moved. We moved cross country. So was it good for your family? Financially, no. But spiritually, you better believe it. Why? Because I believe God's program is us being confrontational with sinners. We're into the life of Christ. You see him constantly... Talking with sinners. Yeah, yeah. It says about him, he was a friend of sinners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everywhere, he never said to the disciples, meet me under the oak tree at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, we're going to go soul winning. He never did that. Yeah. So why wouldn't he do that? It was on the Sabbath day. All right, Wake up, all right? Some of you are asleep. Right? But he didn't have a scheduled soul winning time. No, he went down the road, looked up at the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they said he was a friend of sinners. Nobody liked the publicans. I didn't say republicans. I said publicans. Who were they? They were tax collectors. You see him walking down one day and there's a blind man that says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples said, be quiet. Don't bother the master. What he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He said he cried out the more. And Jesus called for him. He said, bring them here. Disciples didn't like that. Sometimes those super spiritual ones don't like just dealing with a sinner, and getting him to go to heaven. And Jesus said to the blind man, What wilt that I do unto you? What do you want? He said that I might receive my sight. Jesus did more than that. He saved him and then gave him his sight. Jesus just found people as they were. The woman at the well. Nicodemus, that came to him at night. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul never got over that miraculous thing when God sought him out. Oh, don't ever get over the day God saved you. The sovereign plan of God is so winning. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It says in Matthew 18.11, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. You see, the sovereign plan of God is to get the gospel to the world. As I said, the lifestyle evangelism, uh, that whole idea of living holy, that's a good thing. But you understand, a farmer can live a good life. He can dress right. He can have the best pair of overalls that there is. The right kind of boots. He can have the right kind of tractor. He can buy the right kind of seed. But if he never gets that seed out of his barn into the ground, there'll never be a crop. Some of us in this room, we have multiple Bibles. We have so many New Testaments. But the seeds in the barn, the the sovereign plan of God, the sole purpose of the Savior was to save sinners. John three sixteen and seventy. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, or believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send his Son to the earth just so that he could heal the sick, although Jesus did that. He didn't come to cause blinded eyes to see. He didn't come to cause deaf ears to hear. He didn't come to feed multitudes. He didn't come uh, to, to to make lame limbs to walk. He didn't come to raise the dead. The Son of Man is come to. To seek and to save that which was lost. The only reason that the pure, holy Son of God ever left a perfect heaven to come to a sin-cursed earth was to keep sinners out of hell. It's the only reason He came. It's the sole purpose of the Savior. That's why He came. What did Jesus do? He got the seed out of the barn. Let me ask you, child of God, Is the seed still in the barn? The sovereign plan of God, the sole purpose of the Savior. But the sad plight of the church is this we've all heard the gospel story over and over. Most of us could quote it. We've memorized the Roman road, we've read books on soul winning, we've gone to soul winning seminars. We've heard countless sermons on it. But the seed, it's still in the barn. You say, well, preacher, I don't feel led. I like what Dr. Boyd used to tell us. Then feel pushed. So I'm not called. Soul winning is not a call. It's a command. Why wait for a voice when you have a verse? John 15, 16. You have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. How many of you are saved? You're afraid to raise your hand now, aren't you? God chose you to get the gospel to somebody else. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that what you will ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. To many of us, soul winning is just a means to an end. So what do you mean? To some of us, the reason will show up on Saturday we hold a position at church and we're afraid preacher is going to check up on us on Saturday. We'll find out where you're there to meet him. So we show up. Uh, to some of us, we go bus calling because we're afraid the bus director is going to ask us when we fill out our report. How many hours do you spend visiting? I know preachers, why they go soul winning? Because they want to fill their church. That's not the reason for soul winning. You understand, it's not the job of the man of God to fill the church. By the way, it's not your job either. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, he does want us to be involved in the process. And that means just getting seed out of the barn. People getting saved. Then what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to get baptized. How are they supposed to know that? We're supposed to tell them. We're supposed to bring our converts to church. I wish I had time to talk about the difference between an evangelistic church and a soul winning church. An evangelistic church is what most churches that call themselves soul winners really are. They expect sinners to show up at church and their preacher will preach them down the aisle. Can I tell you, there's not one verse in this Bible that shows you an evangelistic church. Not one. There's not one verse in this King James Bible that commands a sinner to come to the house of God to get saved. But I can show you dozens of verses that command saved sinners. Child, children of God, I'm talking about saints, I'm talking about church members, that we are commanded to leave this place with the seed, the word of God, and go into the world and sow the seed. We're to go and win them. And notice what it said in Psalm 126. Come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. What does that mean? They get saved out there. We bring them here to get baptized and then we teach them. See, we think we have gotten to this place in America, preacher, that we think we hire preachers to do the soul winning. That we hire church staff to do that. I want you to take your Bibles, and this one's not in my notes. If you knew me well, you'd get real scared right now. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My sermons when I preach, I have notes, very extensive notes, and they're a fence to keep me in the area where I studied. I just jumped the fence. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter number 5. Man, I love this chapter. If a guy can't preach 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he needs to just quit preaching and go get an honest job like selling used cars or something. Look at verse 14. For the, the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Do you understand what they just said? Because we understand how much God loves us, that Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. That word literally means it drags me around. Why'd Paul go through all, all he went through where he was shipwrecked, left for dead, stoned outside of Lystra, you know, eventually beheaded? Why did he do that? Because of how much God loved him and saved him. Look at verse number 16. Wherefore, henceforth, we know we know man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Hallelujah for that. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God. So all those changes that happen, you could say, God does it, not you. Look at this, verse 18. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, when, when that sin was recorded, God put a price on sin, that price was death. He kicked them out of the Garden. They weren't allowed back in. Why, sin broke the relationship. you understand what Jesus did when he died on the cross? He mended it. He fixed it. He reconciled it. That's why he came. It says, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God could not save us without Jesus. Somebody had to pay the sin debt. The price for sin was what? Death. The only way you and I could pay it was to go to hell forever. And Jesus came not owing the debt. And he paid it in full. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Notice this, it is given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, okay, that's what Jesus did for us. He reconciled us to God. Now he gave us that ministry. And I know what you're thinking. Well, that us was Paul, the preacher, and that was Silas with him, and that was Timothy. All right, let's just keep reading. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This passage, preacher, I'm so glad it's in Second Corinthians, not Second Timothy. Because 2 Timothy are commands written to a preacher. 2 Corinthians are commands written to a church. How many of you are saved? Guess what? <laughs> this is for you. It's for me. He said, I've given to you the ministry of reconciliation. He said to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but it committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's the book. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. What's he saying? We stand where Jesus stood. Can I tell you something? The scriptures I did a study There's about 38 individuals Jesus personally witnessed to. I taught on the first one on on Andrew and then Simon Peter. and We could go all through the different ones he personally spoke to. But you understand that day he ascended back up to heaven, his physical ministry was over. With one little exception, Paul on the road to Damascus. That's the last one Jesus personally won. Everyone else that's been saved since then, God used a human individual to go to them with the seed. The last sinner that Jesus will ever personally face-to-face deal with has already been saved. That was Paul. Everybody else, God says, my plan is you. What an amazing opportunity. We get to do what the son of God did. Oh, we don't save him. We just introduce him to the one who does. He said, you're my ambassador. You realize an ambassador has nothing of his own to talk about when he meets with somebody? He just carries the message from the one who sent him. When you and I knock on the door to witness to somebody, we don't go in our authority. I don't knock on the door. Now, you need to listen to me. I've been to Bible college. No, it doesn't matter. I'm just a saved sinner. wanting to tell an unsaved sinner about a Savior who will save them if they'll listen. I'm just there to plant the seed. I'm there to water it. I'm there to bring some harvest in. Is the seed yet in the barn? It is the sovereign plan of God. It is the sole purpose of the Savior. But you hear me, it is the sad plight of the church. I wonder, do we witness as we go around our day-to-day tasks? Is the seed yet in the barn? And let me just say this. Don't just go soul winning, be a soul winner. Dr. Joe Boyd, my mentor, he's an evangelist, he's in heaven now, he went to heaven 10 years ago. Dr. Boyd, I picked him up at his house many times and drove him to the airport. We lived in West Virginia at the time, I would drive him from the camp up to Pittsburgh, three hour drive. We'd stop to get gas or stop to eat. I have never been with Dr. Boyd in a public setting, like out to eat, where he didn't witness to the waitress. I've, ne- I've been with him at the doctor's office. I've watched him win his doctor to Christ. He, he and I, one time I was driving him to an airport, had my boys with me in the back seat. I told my boys, just watch Dr. Boyd. Just whatever he does, watch him. And uh, we stopped at a place to get gas, and, and uh, all of a sudden, we couldn't find Dr. Boyd. And uh, he was just nowhere to be found. And, uh, and my son looked over, and Dr. Boyd's clear over here, and he's next to a dumpster. And he's got his New Testament out with his arm around us, just this old guy digging in a dumpster. And he led that man to Christ. I wonder, was the last time, just in your daily activity, you told somebody about the Savior? What if that soul winner that brought the gospel to you was as consistent of a soul winner as you? What if they were as diligent knocking on doors as you are? What if they cared about souls the way you do? Say, preacher, that's up close and personal. It's supposed to be. I like what Lester Olaf said. I like porcupine preachers so people will get the point. <laughs> you understand the natural tendency for a newborn child of God's to tell somebody else? We don't have time to turn to it. But in, 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 Luke, or in John chapter 4, Jesus sits at the well. That, that, that Samaritan woman came to the well. And Jesus begins a conversation with her, asking her to give him something to drink. Remember that story? Shake your heads up and down, all right? Now you understand Jews and Samaritans didn't talk to each other. They hated each other. The Bible says in the first part of of John chapter four, he said, I must needs go to Samaria. On purpose, this wasn't an accident. Why? Because he had an appointment at that well the woman didn't know about. And he began to talk to her, and he, he, he begins to explain eternal life. He offered her the, 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 the living water. She said, give me this water. And Jesus didn't say, okay, pray this prayer. He said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. The way he worded it was this. What, the, uh, what thou said, thou said, truly, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not the husband. What you said, you've been married and divorced five times and you're shacked up with a boy now. Right, you don't have a husband right now. She says, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. That's one of those duh verses in your Bible. What did he do? He made her confront the fa- her sin. What was her sin? She was an adulteress. By the way, that's what repentance is all about, coming face to face with your sin. What happened? Then she got saved. What was the next thing? thing that happened she ran back to the town and said come see a man that told me all things ever i did is not this the christ her natural tendency it says she went to the men what was her problem man preacher i think she went to her five former husbands and said you've got to come meet this man you read on later in the chapter a multitude came out to see jesus The disciples like what in the world's going on they're in buying hamburgers and he's winning people to Jesus. Amen. The maniac of Gadara. I love that one. Mark 5. When he got saved, he wanted to travel with Jesus. Jesus said, No, go home and tell your friends what things the Lord had done for them. The Bible says he began to publish in Decapolis all that God had done for him. you imagine this man lived in the tombs, naked, screaming, cutting himself, possessed by a demon, sitting clothed in his right mind. He goes back to everybody that knew him. And said, Jesus made the difference. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said that to the disciples. The Bible says, and they forsook all and followed him. Let me say this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you will have to be a fisher of men. R.A. Tory, that great evangelist, worded it this way. He said, what right do you have to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not a soul winner? Dr. Daryl Cox, pastor up in North Carolina, words it this way. He's a little more country than Dr. Tory was. He said, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. I like it. John Wesley said, we have nothing to do but win souls. I used this quote yesterday from missionary Jim Elliott to the Aka Indians, who said, Of what worth is Calvary to a man who's never heard? Statistics tell us there are over 5 million independent Baptists in North America, yet there are less than 5,000 independent Baptist missionaries in the world. Total missions giving is less than 75 million. That's less than $15 per person. Do you think that's what God had in mind when he said, I want you to take the seed and get it to the world? Do you think that this is what God had in mind when he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? You say, well, I'm faithful to church. Yes, but is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I work in the nursery. All right, but is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Well, how about this? Is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I sing in the choir. All right, choir, remember? Is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I drive a bus. Is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I'm just a children's church preacher. Preacher, is the seed yet in the barn? You say, well, I, I I just come to church here. Well, church member, is the seed yet in the barn? So preacher, I don't know how to do it. I didn't either. I shall never forget the first time I went out on a soul winning visit. I, I wanted to go soul so bad. First time I went out, our youth director, Brother Howard Cooper, he's not, over 90 years of age, never misses church, still in my home church, still serving. We got his little Volkswagen Squareback. Anybody remember those? He had a 1973 Volkswagen Squareback. He sat in the front I sat in the back, and in the front seat with him was uh, another one of our teenagers, Brother Donnie Swinehart. He was our assistant pastor's son. Brother Donnie was about 6'4", and uh, in those days, I was half the man I am now. I was a strong little kid. I was 13. We went out to do this follow-up visit. We had a card. Oh, that's a track. We had a card. I had one in my pocket. There we go. And it was the name of a teenage boy that had visited the church the Sunday before. We went on a Tuesday night. I'll never forget this. I had never gone soul winning. Preacher, I'd never been to a soul winning class. I've been in church my whole life. I'm son of a preacher, but I'd never been soul winning. Brother Donnie, he's got that card in his hand, and we're walking to the door. And he said, Brother Doug, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to knock on the door. We're going to see this young man. I think his name was Billy. So we're going to get inside, then I'm going to let you talk. Before I could say anything, he had already been knocking on the door. I didn't want to talk. I had nothing to say. And before I could say that, they opened the door. He said, hi, I'm Donnie. This is Doug. We're from the Troy Baptist Temple. And we came to see Billy. Is he home? Yes, he's home. Come on in. We come in the living room. There was a couch and a recliner. I was headed for the recliner, but Donnie sat there first. He made me sit on the couch right next to where Billy sat. And, Bill, and Donnie said, hey, we're from the church. We're so glad you came last week. Doug has something he wants to say to you. I'm thinking, no, I don't. <laughs> now everybody's looking at me. See, what'd you do? The only thing I could think of, I pulled a track out of my pocket. It's one of those old Roman road tracks. Remember those that had the, had the, the Roman helmet and the shield and the sword on the front of it? Remember those? I'll never forget. It was printed on white paper and blue ink. And this is what I did. I looked at the front of the track. And it said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I said, well, do you? He said, no. I said, well, let's see what else it says. It says, who is good? Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. I said, I think that verse means none of us are perfect. you believe that? Yeah, I do. All right, verse 23, who has sinned? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means we've all broken God's law. We've all sinned. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. All right. Uh, God's price, uh, where sin came from? Romans 5, 12, wherefore it's by one man, sin. I was reading the tract. Wherefore it's by one man, sin, entered into the world, death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I said, I think that's talking about Adam. That's exactly how I said it. I think that's talking about Adam. By the way, it is. He sinned, and because of that, he had to die. We have to die because we sinned like him. You believe that? Yeah. All right, God's price on sin. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life to Jesus Christ, our Lord. I said, that verse says we sin, we're going to die. You believe that? Yeah. I said, all right, see what else it says. Our way out, Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. I said, that verse says God loved us, and he sent Jesus to die for us. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. I said, all right. And then it says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, those verses said Jesus paid for it for us. And if we just asked him, he'd save us. You want to do that? He said, yeah. And he got down on his knees. Wonderful. All right. I got down there with him. So what did you do next? I read the prayer on the back of the track. I said, all right, just pray this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. Please forgive me my sin. Please forgive me my sin. And save me. And save me. And take me to heaven when I die. Take me to heaven when I die. I trust trust you alone today. I trust you alone today as my Savior, as my Savior. And my assurance for heaven. My assurance for heaven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. He said, Amen. Right, he said, We got up. I said, Did you mean that? Yeah. I said, I, You're saved. That's what it says. Hallelujah. I'll never forget. We're walking back to the car. And Donnie said, Doug, I have never seen anybody do that at soul winning before. Where'd you learn that? I said, Donnie, I've never done this before. I learned a precious truth it does not matter how long you've been going to church. It does not matter how many verses you have memorized. It does not matter how well qualified you think you are. All you need to be is a mouthpiece to tell a sinner the good news that God loved him so much. He sent his son from a holy heaven to a sin-cursed earth. And if they would put their faith in what Jesus did when he died and he was buried and he rose again, they too can have eternal life. It's just getting the seed out of the barn. It doesn't matter that you know what the seed is. It doesn't matter that you know where the seed should go. It doesn't matter that you know what the seed will do. It doesn't matter if you never get it out of the barn. I ask you, is the seed yet in the barn? That great preacher Charles Spurgeon in London said this, To be laughed at is no great hardship to me. I can delight in scoffs and jeers. Cartoons and slanders are my glory. But that you should turn away from your own mercy, this is my sorrow. Spit on me, but oh, repent. Laugh at me, but oh, believe on my master. Make my body as the dirt of the streets, but damn not your own souls. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they must perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to to trust Christ. If hell must be filled, let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Is the seed, Yet in the barn. It is the sovereign plan of God. No Baptist preacher thought that up. It was the God who spoke the world into existence that planned that. And by the way, you understand Revelation says that Christ was slain as a lamb before the foundation of the world, before he ever said, Let there be light. God had the plan to send his son to be the son of to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. It is the sole purpose of the Savior. It's why he came. But The question I ask tonight, is it the sad plight of this church? Let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Can you look back to a time and a place when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If we had you stand up, and give a Bible reason why you'd go to heaven if you were to die right now. Could you do it? If not, just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. If you can't, I would run to this altar. Yes. And let us take the Bible and help you settle that tonight. How many of you would say, I know somebody who lives near me that's not saved. Well, if you do, come to this altar. Promise God you're going to get to that. We're going to deal with that in a moment. Would you promise God tonight that from this week forward you're going to get the seed out of the barn. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, thank you for your love for us. You loved a sin-cursed world. You loved sinners so much, you let your perfect Son come to this earth and suffer in our stead and die on the cross. And be buried and raised again that we might be redeemed. I pray if there's one here that does not know Christ tonight, would you draw them? With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around who would say, Preacher, I can remember a time and a place when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know that I'm saved. Would you lift your hand? Say, that's me. I know I'm saved. No, I am going to heaven. Oh, isn't that a wonderful thing to know we're on our way to heaven? Thank You, you may put them down. Who would say tonight, preacher, to be honest, my consistency in soul winning does not measure up to the, to the demands of Scripture. Tonight, God spoke to me about my personal soul winning. Preacher, pray for me. Would you lift your hand? So that's me. My personal involvement in getting the gospel to others is not what it's supposed to be. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Thank you. You may put them down. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to finish my prayer. If tonight God spoke to you about this matter of soul winning, and you're not where you're supposed to be, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and pray. And don't run back to your seats. Stay right where you are when you come to the front. Let's all stand and go ahead and come as I pray. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight to get very serious about this matter of getting sinners to heaven. May we be consumed with getting the seed out of the barn. Help us not to be content to watch others labor in the vineyard while we sit in a wagon and watch them work. But may we get involved in planting seed and being part of the harvest. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As he continues to play, if God spoke to you, would you just come to this altar right now? And stay at the altar. Don't leave when you're done. Because we're not done yet. The message is not over. If you'd like to have someone pray with you, would you just lift your hand and we'll have somebody come to you. If you need somebody to pray with you, we don't want to leave you by yourself. Thank you, Brother Josh. You can look right up at me. If you're praying at the altar, please continue. Who would say tonight? Preacher, I know someone, maybe it's a relative, it might be a neighbor. But you say, Preacher, I know someone personally that I know does not know Jesus as their Savior. Would you lift your hand? Maybe it's a mom, maybe it's a brother. Lift your hand. So I know somebody personally. might be your boss. All right, put your hands down. Would tonight you be willing to promise God you're going to go after them this week? I mean, you'll leave from this room tonight and call them. If you can get to them tonight, it's only 7.05, you still got time to talk to them tonight. Maybe you got a mom that lives in another state that doesn't know Christ as her Savior. Would you say tonight, I'm going to call her? I, I'm going to get my brother on the phone. I'm going to go talk to my neighbor tonight after church. I want to make sure they know how to go to heaven who'd say, preacher, there's somebody like that that I could get to tonight. And preacher, I'm going to do it. Would you lift your hands? and say, that's me. I'm going to do that tonight. Would you be willing to commit to that? Thank you for the few that you are. Who would say this week, I'm going to get to somebody that I know that needs the gospel. I'm going to get to them with the gospel. Would you raise your hands? that's me. Thank you. And I'd like for you to go ahead and, and those of you that are down here at the front, would you look up here and I'm going to need some help. I've got something for you tonight. I have some packs of seeds. and On the back it says, Is the seed yet in the barn? It's got today's date and the church logo on it. I want everybody down here to get one of these. I want you, every time you see that pack of seeds, I want you to remember this sermon. Is the seed yet in the barn? If you decide you want to plant whatever that thing is that I'm handing you, I want you, every time you see that thing spring up, I want you to think about that sermon.
1: If
0: I get some help, maybe handing these out. Here, you are dear lady. Is the seed, yet yeah, in the barn. I like having visuals while I preach. It's amazing how often Jesus, when he preached, used an object to get the attention of somebody. I can't think of a well without the woman at the well. I just can't. Is the seed yet in the barn? Tonight, let's promise God we're going to do something about it. Let's be involved. Are we out do we, if we need more? Everybody got one? Everybody in the auditorium ought to get one. Just Everybody, just give them to everybody. Ushers, we get those tracks ready. I want to have tracks at the door. Don't leave here without tracks in your hands. Grab a pack of them. You ought to come to preacher and "Preacher, I, I don't have time on Saturday to visit. Maybe you have to work. But I got another day of the week I can visit. Can you give me a street? Amen. Wow. And when was the last time you just took a pack of track, tracks and claimed a street for God? Someone knocked on every door. I'm going to talk to somebody behind every door. I'm going to keep going back. To, I talk to somebody behind that door. And I'm going to get the gospel to them. Is the seed yet in the barn? I'm so glad that somebody got the gospel to my mama. I'm glad that somebody got the gospel to my daddy. I'm glad that when I was just a little boy, mom and dad got in an independent Baptist church. And I'm glad it was my mom and my dad that gave me the gospel. I'm glad for that day in June of 1972 on a Friday night. In fact, it was this week. Preacher, when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, I'm glad somebody in my life got the seed out of the barn.